Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Okay, the opening ceremony doesn't kick off until midnight, Friday night, our time, but Rio 2016 is officially underway in my book. Owen here with Ken and Murph. Hi, guys. Hello, Hi, Owen. I'm not talking about Sweden's 1-0 win over South Africa in the first game of the women's football tournament. I speak of Paddy Barnes, Michael Conlon, and their relentless quest to get selfies with as many celebrity uh, superstar athletes as they can in and I, around the Olympic I, Village. I think that was, it was the moment, Owen, that I caught <laughs> Olympics fever. Mm. They're focusing so far almost exclusively on the tennis players. Here are the boys at Rafa Nadal. Don't know how well this will work on... Podcast. No, I've, form, I've seen it. I saw, I saw that one. Yeah, have, saw have you seen how unenthusiastic yeah. Nadal and looks? Old That's what Rafa, I like about it. And him. old Rafa Nadal I don't think looks. Nadal looks reasonable, reasonably. No, that's the most, look at that. The, that's a forced smile. Well, I think it's an, it's okay for a selfie smile. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, th- I think he's he's managed to do. He's 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 injected just enough an adequate level of uh, bonhomie into that uh, expression. Well, the other player they got was Joe Wilfred Songa. I mean, that was. Uh, Sanga was looked like looked actually like he had hunted the boys down, rather than the other way around. Well, that's the oldest gag that Con- the Conlon Barnes combo have they've been using that gag for a long time. Oh, they did use that again with regards to Nadal as well, begging me for a selfie. Yeah, but they're doing well so far. Paddy has been in great form actually, even by his standards. He tweeted Rory McIlroy with a picture of his bed surrounded by a heavy duty mosquito protection net. Did you see this? Yes. You should have came, mate. They had this bed set up for you and everything. <laughs> and yesterday he tweeted a Sky Sports crap. I love Paddy Barnes. Yesterday he tweeted a Sky Sports graphic, and he asked, "Who are these other flag bearers?" It was Michael Phelps, Rafa Nadal, Caroline Wozniacki, Shelly Ann Fraser-Price, Paddy Barnes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he'll be flying the Irish flag, Ken. You're gonna he up. really does enjoy it, doesn't he? He, he does. He, he enjoys it, and then he goes and knocks the head off a few lads and wins medals every time as yeah. well. So yeah. it's, he does back up. It's not as though he takes his eye off the It kind of seems like the Olympics is a pretty easy game, really. <laughs> yeah. Go yeah. in there, send some funny tweets, annoy some world superstar sports people, win a medal, come home. Come home. Wait till the next time. Uh, the ceremony is going to go on from midnight till 4am, Ken, but judging by your column this week, you're a fan. You enjoy these Olympic opening ceremonies. I think they're very interesting, yeah. Um, they're getting more interesting as time goes on. I mean, they've always had uh, 
this it's always been a kind of component of the Olympics. I think starting in 1920, um, well, you know, they, they used to have like um, art in the Olympics, like Jack Jack B. Yates won a medal for Ireland in 20 or 24. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the painting competition so they don't yeah. do that anymore well it might come back I mean there's a raft of new sports that have already been announced for 2020 maybe 2024 is the return of fine art to well, the Olympics well what they have done is essentially taken uh, taken the whole artistic element of the Olympics and put it into the opening ceremony so which is which is known in the Olympic uh, the IOC protocol as the what is it the artistic uh, program that's mm-hmm. what they call the opening ceremony in official terms the artistic program um so, uh, I mean, it was 1936 probably where they really started to to lay on the, the pageantry in a big way, invented the Olympic flame that year. Um, and maybe 1980 was the first truly massive uh, opening ceremony um, over in Moscow. Um, they've just been kind of getting big. Well, not necessarily bigger, but more elaborate. I mean, the one in Beijing, I, I don't know if there's... It's, Hopefully, it's a long time before we see a bigger <laughs> one than that. But um, they have, I mean, the one in, in London was a kind of a, they took a slightly different approach. There was a lot of thought put into that one. Um, I can't wait to see what happens here. Well, there's also a lot of money put into the Danny Boyle one as well. It wasn't as though he was operating on a shoestring and his creative imagination was able to salvage the thing. I mean, no, it, it was, it was, had, it was a mean, big budget, big budget event. The, the Queen doesn't do anything for, you know... For nothing, but by but by comparison, <laughs> by comparison, she drives a hard bargain. Uh, that what, what's the queen usually charged for these gigs anyway? What's the uh, what's the bonus on this man? <laughs> right. By comparison to the to Beijing or or Sochi, uh, I mean Sochi, they they had the Olympic um, the opening ceremony in a stadium which was built to host it. <laughs> the, the oh well, and the closing ceremony. And the closing Come ceremony. on now. They didn't have anything else in that stadium for the during the entire Winter Olympics apart from the, the opening and closing ceremonies. And that was a real uh, big budget and event. But in terms of a story, it was hard to know what, what point is this trying to make exactly. Russia, land of ballet and uh, overspending. Uh, <laughs> uh, that, was, that was really the, the, the message of it. So in terms of what Brazil can say, I mean, Brazil is like such a strange country um such uh, and in such a difficult place at the moment um it's hard to know what do you what do you actually say about this place i don't really think it's a it's a country that's got much sense of itself um you know there isn't any one sense of what to, what it means to be brazilian i think that everybody would agree on there it's a really uh, grotesquely divided country it's a politically now very volatile country um the olympics itself is an extremely controversial event um, it, you have this real sense of, oh, here we are now. We're going to have a load of rich people flying in from all over the world to get together in the nice parts of Rio uh, and hang out behind, uh, you know, this massive security cordon uh, behind which, you know, excluding almost everybody in this country. Really, nobody is, is invited apart from really rich people. Um, so quite what you say about your country in the in that uh, this story that you tell to the world in that uh, circumstance, it's going to be interesting to see what it is that they come up with. The one at the World Cup was appalling, but the the football ones always are. I mean, the, the uh, hooray for everybody that you were talking about uh, in your column on Monday. You know the hooray for everybody Super Bowl halftime party in The Simpsons. Oh, I can't remember. <laughs> no, it's it's just a bad called hooray for everybody, which yeah. is exactly the sort of thing that uh, football has decided. They want to say it's their their uh, tournament. Well, they don't have the anything like the ambition 
of the Olympics. I mean, there isn't, as far as I'm aware, an official FIFA protocol which says what you've got to do or what the requirements are for an opening ceremony. So they usually just book somebody like um, Pitbull it was. So I've had Pitbull and J-Lo. Uh, and Claudia Leitch, I think, was the name of the local artiste who got to share the podium with, with them. But it was just, it's like, well, this is terrible. You know, we've got some past their sell-by date, uh, you know, recording artists. It's like a, what an oligarch would do for his son's but, 21st birthday. <laughs> exactly. Literally yeah. like that, you know, uh, like Hadaway. <laughs> Hadaway gets a million dollars to come and perform at someone's Sweet 16 in, in like, uh, you know, Novosibirsk. Um, so that's kind of the FIFA approach. They don't really go in for uh, for the story thing that the Olympics does. So that's what makes their the Olympic ceremonies. It's just a pity that I mean, I know, I know it's a proud moment for the athletes, but it is really boring watching those athletes march into the stadium. I wish they could just be there to begin with. Maybe there was some way of maybe just get the flag bearers out. Well, it's a weird put, one. Put them, on a, put, put them I, on a really fast conveyor belt. You know, <laughs> I hate the way these Here's Olympic Brazil, athletes yeah. think it's think this thing is all about them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, they'll have plenty of time to compete in in their various events. You know, that's that's when people will be watching them. But just marching around the stadium is just. Uh, it's very analog. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a little out of date at this stage. I'm not sure how. I hope I'm, I'm able to uh, stay awake uh, through that bit. There have already been some heavy-duty protests last night as the Olympic torch arrived in Rio. Violent clashes, I believe they're called, between police and protesters. One of the torchbearers, one, one of the guys actually running with the torch, was involved in these protests. He used his moment to make a political point, but I can't approve, Murph, of his method. Mm. This is great. His name is Tar- Tarcisio Chizau. He's a musician. Uh, the journal that he takes it up here. Uh, fans tried to run alongside the, where I'm here. When musician Tarcisio Chisao, uh, dressed in the regulation yellow and white shorts and shirt for a relay runners, took the torch, the tempo rose another notch. A band of trumpet, trombone, and drum players appeared, and Chisao drew huge cheers as he danced down the street, holding the flame torch high above his head. And then he pulled down his shorts. See, that's, you can't, it's being reported as a, as a, a mooning. Now, it's yeah. strictly it's not because he is wearing. Was wearing something underneath the shorts. And to be fair, you know, like we were something we were, small. We were really upset when Shane Horgan did this as well. During the, uh, <laughs> so I mean, it is. It's 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 not. It's it's never cool. No. But I mean, he's wearing as you say, Owen. I mean, he's wearing a pair of uh, you know leopard skin thong. I suppose you'd call it an extremely short pair of shorts. As uh, arse cheeks are quite plainly visible. <laughs> but I mean, it's just still the not cheeks. A moon. Though it's not a moon unless the whole shebang yeah. is on show there. Of course, as far as I mean, I'm concerned. Well, Owen, I mean, we've had discussions about this long into the night on yeah, numerous have, occasions. Yeah. This is the first one on air. Yeah, a moon is never a moon yeah. unless it's a full moon. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. crescent moons. No one has any interest in those. So, <laughs> Michael Phelps, as far as we know, a man who has never mooned publicly. Although he's had his rocky phase as Michael Phelps, so I'm just saying it's not impossible. If a big, if a frat party that Michael Phelps has attended is really getting out of hand. I don't think he's, he's the type to necessarily step back from it. So listen, I could talk myself into trouble here. So all I'm going to say is that we're going to talk about Michael Phelps to US Murph today. Phelps trying to add to his 22 Olympic gold medals. He actually had an interesting quote yesterday. He said, I think I can honestly say as well, in my career, I don't know if I've ever competed in a clean sport. It's upsetting. And of course, everybody would agree with Michael Phelps that there's no way swimming has been fully clean for the entirety of his career. But at the same time, for him to say it on the eve of the Games was reasonably interesting. Anyway, we'll talk about Phelps with Brian. Let's go to Brazil right now, though, to chat to our friend Tim Vickery, see the locals are feeling about everything now. Heated protests, as I mentioned to him last night as the torch arrived in Rio. Uh, there's obviously a lot of opposition to the Olympics. Well, yeah, I think there is. And there, there have been protests and problems 
as soon as the torch arrived in the state of Rio de Janeiro, and this, the, the torch has been on a, on a procession of Brazil over, over recent weeks, but the end of last week it arrived in the state of Rio, and as soon as it did, it ran into problems. And those problems, I think, are thoroughly predictable because the state of Rio is in a, is in, uh, a self-declared financial catastrophe. Um, there is uh, not a lot of money, not enough resources for health, education, lots of government employees uh, have not been paid. Uh, and uh, so they can use the, uh, the arrival of the torch as, as, a, as a motive to make their protests. And the, the, the violent one which happened uh, on Thursday, uh, on Wednesday, sorry, in Dugachikashias, and this is the outskirts of Rio, and these really are the people who usually never get a look in. They're the, the ne neglected people of Rio, the people who live in the periphery. It's where the bulk of the working class in Rio live. Their story never gets told. They're the people who are suffering the, uh, the, the shoddy infrastructure, especially in terms of transport and so on. Uh, and usually, uh, protests that they make never get covered. So it's obvious that when the world comes to them through the Olympic torch, it's a, it's a chance for them to, to, uh, to get some attention. And the rich in Brazil, the rich in Rio, all they have to do is to get out, on, uh, to open their front door and have a demonstration in the beachside neighborhoods of Copacabana and Ipanema, and it will get coverage. Out in the periphery, that just doesn't happen. So it's a, it, it, it's a real opportunity for people with genuine grievances, real genuine grievances, to get a little bit of attention. And uh, the, these days, with social media, um, the, 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 there's, there's nowhere for the authorities to hide, and the images, I think, are quite shocking of the police just firing rubber bullets straight at people who, who are protesting in a, in, in, in a peaceful manner. Uh, this really isn't the, the, the kind of message that Rio wanted to, to, to send to the world. This issue, Tim, between the police and the poor of Rio seems to be a, a really serious problem. Um, I mean, I was reading some quotes over the last couple of days uh, from, from people campaigning, human rights campaigners essentially saying, look, you know, under the guise of trying to in improve security and improve the situation in Rio for visitors coming over, what's actually happened is police have essentially gone to war with the poor of the favelas. Yes, perhaps, although there is a, a real need for policing as well. Um, urban crime is a huge issue in in Rio, huge issue. And it's not, as you might imagine, it's not so much an issue of rich against poor because the rich can protect themselves from, from urban crime. They live in gated communities. And the Olympic Village is, is a project which was sold off. Uh, very, very few apartments have been sold so far, which is part of the financial problems and part of the, the difficulties the Olympic Village has has had um, but uh, the rich can protect themselves in gated communities and and, uh, and don't have a great deal of contact with public space the poor can't so th there is a need for policing um, but uh, so often it seems that the objective of policing is to protect to segregate the rich from the poor rather than protect the poor from being victims of urban crime Tim, I remember in the um, build-up to the World Cup, you know, a lot of the pre-tournament coverage was also quite negative and it's focusing on social problems, uh, crime, uh, all this sort of stuff. Uh, and it does seem to be a feature of, of, you know, a big sporting event that does get a lot of play in the build-up in the, in the kind of Western media. In Brazil, is there any sense that this 
is in some way a good thing as well. Well, the, and the city of Rio has gotten more out of hosting the Olympics than it did out of hosting the World Cup, um, really because it had to. And remember the wave of protests that began during the Confederations Cup in 2013 that really took uh, that took people by surprise. It even took the the organisers of the original protest by surprise. That started in Sao Paulo on the issue of urban transport because uh, the World Cup had made all kinds of promises to improve urban transport. But it was clear that that was never going to happen, you know, as because strictly speaking for the World Cup, you didn't need it. So as soon as they got behind schedule on the World Cup, which was right at the start, it was obvious that urban transport was, was, was going to be where they cut back. When you need a stadium, you need to get uh, people to the stadium. But apart from that, you don't need urban transport links in, in the other side of town, for example. The Olympics is a very, very different event. You know, it's an event which happens in a number of different places in the same city uh, and in a place such as Rio, which, which operates on a, on, a, on a pretty much uh, perpetual gridlock. The Olympics, without improvements in urban transport, simply weren't practical. Um, we, we, we could argue, and we will see over the next few days, number one, if the, the improvements in transport have been adequate for the smooth running of the games, and we will see afterwards how much they improve the lives of the city. It, it could be far, far better. But there is some kind of legacy, uh, which really we didn't get from the World Cup. So I think that that, that is, that is uh, undeniable. Although, remember, when Rio was awarded the games, it was the, the idea was of showcasing a Brazil on the rise. That Brazil no longer exists economic boom has turned into quite a severe depression, uh, which has brought all kinds of political uh, problems, economic problems um, to the surface. And uh, it's now a fairly common opinion that, you know, really, we shouldn't really be doing this. And even the coach of Brazil's Olympic football team, now that's an important position over, over the next couple of weeks, even he is saying, you know, we, we, it probably would have been better had we not bothered staging the Olympics. So uh, there, there, there are plenty of dissenting voices. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty remarkable thing to say for the coach of the football team, of all things. I mean, I would have thought that would at least be one rallying point for Brazilian, uh, for Brazilian people, that they can go and uh, watch their team potentially win Olympic gold for the first time in its history. Yeah, and uh, it, it's being marketed to the Brazilian people as a, as a serious, incredible competition, the, the Olympic football tournaments, which in the case of the men's tournament is no longer the truth. And it's, uh, it's become pretty pointless, to be honest. Uh, and th th this started, it was an under-23 competition with three overage players. It was a kind of interesting semi-halfway house towards the World Cup. But then in 2008... The European clubs, it was Barcelona who took the thing to the, the Court of Arbitration for Sports to uh, win the right for Lionel Messi not to play the Olympics in Beijing. Now, Barcelona won that case. Um, by the time the verdict came, Messi was already with the team, the Argentina team in the Far East, and he refused to come back. So Barcelona won that particular battle, uh, lost that particular battle, but they won the war. Uh, and uh, it's meant that the Olympic football tournament has now become pretty meaningless. It's more of a problem this time than it was four years ago in London for the simple reason that the Games are starting a few days later, something like 10 days later or so, which means there's greater overlap with the European season, which means it's been harder for teams to, to, uh, to assemble squads. And Argentina very nearly de de declined to send a team. 
to Rio because they just couldn't get their hands on on players. Um, nevertheless, as I say, uh, it's being marketed to the Brazilian public as the absolute centerpiece almost of the games, and Neymar is is the the Jessica Ennis really of uh, of the tournament. You know, the, a kind of poster boy, and maybe. In the case of, of Brazilian football, this lie is a, is a useful lie. There was a, a survey done during the Copa America. Now, this was before Brazil were eliminated in the first round. Um, but even before Brazil's group phase elimination, there was a survey done that uh, came to the conclusion that more than 90% of the Brazilian people really had lost interest in the Brazilian national team. Now, that number is clearly very, very volatile. Had you done that same survey before the World Cup, it would have been 90% the other way around. Um, but there clearly is a, a, a desperate need that the Brazilian national team have to get their own public back on side so the olympic football tournament which you'd expect would be a victory procession given the fact that brazil are so much stronger than than their opponents and are planned for this so much more than their opponents you'd expect that uh, there'll be two consequences here number one that they will finally win this 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 gold medal they've been waiting for for so long the only thing they need to complete their trophy cabinet. And number two, that this will get some of their fans more on side for the more serious stuff to come. Sorry, I mean, I'm just thinking back to 2012, um, the build-up to that, and everybody was bitching about it um, in the UK for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then the thing that happened, you mentioned Jessica, and she won a couple of medals. Um, Team GB started winning medals. And it just took off hugely. I mean, it suddenly all these gold medals, everybody who'd been complaining about the cost and the zill lanes and this and that uh, was suddenly going, well, this is, uh, this is actually exciting. We're, we're really good at this. We've won all these goals. This, this is a brilliant idea. <laughs> um, looking at the, the history of Brazil and the Olympics, they don't win very many gold medals at all. They've got very little history in these Olympic sports. You know, a couple in sailing, a couple in volleyball. You know, nothing really in, in athletics or swimming, which are maybe the, the core of the Olympics. Like you can't, it's difficult to imagine. Well, maybe I mean, maybe Brazil has been planning for this Olympics for a long time. Maybe they're going to unleash this generation of gold medal winning athletes. But I can't see the same thing happening in Brazil as, uh, or in Rio, rather, as happened in London. No, nor can I. Uh, and um, you would expect an improvement in performance based on kind of hometown advantage. Although, if you speak to any specialist here and it's really depressing you just get the same message again and again and again brazil have spent quite a lot of money in preparing athletes for this games but they identified them too late uh, and you you just receive the same message you know, we're spending a lot of money but we're spending it badly uh, and and so it might be something of a surprise if uh, if if the the medal tally uh, increases significantly i agree with your analysis of what happened in london i was over in london i arrived a couple of weeks before the games and it was all negative and i tend to think that the olympics is is going to be a more negative story than the world cup in general terms because the world cup i think in the run up to it it's more of a sports story the Olympics doesn't have the same focus, so it's more of a news story. And there certainly are things to be negative about. There's more to be negative about here, perhaps, than that, that, that there were with previous games. I saw the mood change in London. Um, the, uh, the passage of the torch around the various boroughs of London started that change of mood because it, it, it became a thing that was more inclusive. Now, that isn't happening in Rio. Then came the opening ceremony, which just killed it. And the opening ceremony from Danny Boyle there was extraordinary. It was, an, it was a story that was aimed at the local population. 
think Brazil's TV commentator moaned about it because he couldn't understand what was going on. wasn't for him. It was a story that was aimed at the local population. It was beautifully done, and that helped get people on side. But then, as you say, absolutely crucial, the performance of, of GB athletes. We wouldn't, I don't think we're expecting anything similar from, uh, from Brazil. Although, as, as you said, on the core, swimming and athletics... Um, swimming Brazil has has picked up medals athletics they, they don't tend to pick up very many but the, the, the perception of and remember this is the first games that the, the, the first time that the games have ever, ever been in South America and the Olympic tradition in South America is very very weak there are countries in South America that have never won medals countries that have never won medals outside football um, Brazil is far better than the rest of the continent. It does have a more diversified sporting culture than the rest of the continent. So they will pick up medals in sailing, perhaps in judo, perhaps in gymnastics. So there will be the odd success here and there, which will buoy people along a little bit. But it won't be anything like as much as uh, as the, 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 the effect that it had with, uh, with uh, the, the great British team four years ago, which no doubt about it was really, really important in, in selling the games. There will be that kind of magic of the event, you know, which sprinkles its fairy dust all over the place. Uh, that will be created, I think, in large part by, by the foreign visitors, um, you know, who've come a long way and spent a lot of money and have a vested interest, really, in, in, in really having a good time. And that might drag the local population along a little bit, although it's difficult to see the effect being as dramatic as it was four years ago. Um, you mentioned the opening ceremony in London and uh, Danny Boyle's work on that. The um, creative director of the opening ceremony for Rio is Fernando Mireles, who is uh, a very well-known um, director. Well, internationally, <coughs> I guess Britain's, uh, Brazil's most famous film director, he did the movie City of God in 2002, which was a huge hit. Um, has he? Will this be as gritty as <laughs> City of God was? Yeah, I, I, I wonder what kind of story you think he's he's going to tell. This is this is, there's a lot of pressure on this guy to come up with um, with an idea here. A lot of pressure and not a lot of money. Uh, you know, if Danny Boyle did it with a budget that was much much lower than 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 Beijing. Uh, then uh, Fernando Medellis is doing it with a budget which is much, much lower than that of Danny Boyle. And I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by this, by what, what story he can tell, because the old myths, you just can't do them anymore. You know, the old myths of the happy, dan- all happy, all dancing Brazil and the, the racial democracy, you, know, you can't do them anymore, especially if, you, if you've, uh, you've got City of God on your, on your, on your CV. You know? uh, so I'm fascinated. I, I really wonder what story he, he's going to tell and that they've kept it under wraps. I think there will be... Remember that they've got that carnival tradition to, to call on in terms of, of coming up with theatrics in uh, large-scale open space. So you, you would expect, even on a budget, you would expect some pyrotechnics but what the whole thing is actually going to be about, what story he's going to he's going to tell, and whether it can engage with the local population in the same way that Danny Boyle did, um, it's it's difficult to see what 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 the narrative is going to be. I'm fascinated to find find out to, to find this one out. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Listen, Tim, great to talk to you as always. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. So he's almost like having a second captain, isn't he? Second captain, first captain, whatever. Richie Sadler's here. Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? 
How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? <laughs> no, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, everyone in the city knew about it, but no one had seen it. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. Yeah, not the most optimistic outlook all round from Tim. There are there are a lot of problems. There are security issues. There's polluted water. There's Zika. There, the Olympic Village hasn't been to the up to the high standards of particularly the Australian team. Seem disappointed. There's the government uh, apparently on the brink of collapse and the currency struggling. So there is a lot going on there. But it's funny you touched on this, Ken. The idea that in some ways people harp on too much about all this before every major tournament and it was something that uh, an American rower talked about Megan Calmo wrote a pretty long piece about it on her blog which was then taken up by The Guardian which she sent me during the week she says, she says look the media is yet again working really hard to smear the whole city the IOC and the Olympics as an institution as part of the hype leading into the games in Beijing people were hyper focused on air quality in London the criticism fell on budget and timeline issues this year it's more of the same and people seem more motivated than ever to portray the impending Rio games as the biggest ever disaster that hasn't happened yet she says it's insulting essentially to the people of Brazil who are doing the best to put on a good show and it's unfair on the athletes who have to answer question after question about pollution and Zika and all this kind of thing. Yeah, um, I mean, I think it's it, it happens because there's so many journalists covering um, events that you have to come up with um, angles. Mm. Um, <clears throat> sorry, it's not exclusive to the Olympics. It was obviously, it's obviously the same with the World Cup, same with the World Cup in Brazil. Oh, these stadiums aren't going to be finished. Oh, you know, Manaus is in the jungle. Um, South Africa... Oh, you know, the murder rate in South Africa. Now, all, the thing is that all of these things are real. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just, the, it's hard to know where you strike the balance between focusing on these real uh, stories and, you know, the, the actual sporting event, which is happening, which also has, <laughs> I mean, the sporting event is like, is not important, you know, compared to, uh, is the Olympics important compared to um, the the war between the police and the poor in Rio or, you know, the lack of, like, proper, uh, you know, hygiene, the lack of proper education, you know, th- throughout Brazil, the, the economic division of Brazilian society? Is the Olympics as important as that, as an issue? No. Hmm. Does that mean, therefore, that that's what you should always talk about while the Olympics is on? No. You know, you also talk about the Olympics, you know, in itself, it's got like, uh, in, in in itself, there's a sort of, there's a point to talking about. It, it, I mean, it is before the Olympics, though. I mean, while the Olympics is on, this rower is going to be asked about her rowing. And if mm. she wins a medal, she'll be asked about winning the medal. Yeah. But in the run up to it, I don't know, I think she's, I was quite struck by the article and we'll tweet a link to it because she was really forthright and actually really made me think about it a little bit in a new way. But I also think she was being a little bit precious as an athlete, if that's the right phrase. This idea, oh, well, you know, we can't possibly expect to answer any questions on anything outside of just rowing a boat up and down a river, you know? Yeah, um, I, I suppose. I mean, I don't know. I suppose she's talking to a lot of people in America. Maybe they view going to Brazil as like some kind of expedition into the sort of heart of darkness, you know, oh, Brazil, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of scary. You know, I suppose if you were going there, you might get tired talking to people who are basically ignorant and don't know what they're talking about. Um, it would begin to 
wear you down a little bit? Well, uh, one athlete who took a very different approach to, um, I've forgotten the rower's name there, who we've just been talking about there, uh, Megan Calmo. Uh, one athlete who's taken a different approach is Hope Solo, the American goalkeeper. They were playing last night in their opening game. Now, ahead of this, just to give you the background here, she tweeted a photo of herself when she arrived in Rio. She's got a bit of a Paddy Barnes-style sense of humour, I believe, does Hope Solo. And she's a picture of herself with her head covered in this really heavy-looking anti-mosquito netting. She's got her face covered in a scarf. She's holding this huge industrial-sized bottle of insect repellent and saying, I'm not sharing this, get your own. Hashtag Zika proof. Hashtag road to Rio. So apparently some of the locals weren't overly happy with this. And the this unhappiness manifested itself during the opening game last night. Oh yeah, Hope Solo. Yeah, that was Hope Solo taking a goal kick and the entire crowd cheering Zika as yeah. she took it. Every time she kicked the ball out, that's what they were uh, shouting at the Minerao, um in Belo Horizonte. But, you know, that's another... I mean, I don't know who the people are in that stadium. Um... You see, the, it's kind of weird. It's like the people who are angriest about the World Cup being, being in Brazil and the people who are angriest about the Olympics being in Brazil are Brazilians. I don't, I'm not saying the Brazilians. Mm. I mean Brazilians. Uh, people, the people who are most angry, who are most affected by this, what they see as a misallocation of resources, are Brazilians. As Tim explained to us. Mm. They aren't necessarily the same people who are in that stadium. Um, the people who are in that stadium, you can be sure, are generally among the richest elements of Brazilian are, society. And so are they more concerned about the PR blunder that uh, the Zika virus has, you know, the, the PR disaster that the Zika virus has been blown up out of all proportion by golfers who live in Florida and have had to read all of these newspaper reports about loads of Zika cases in Florida. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that, I mean, Brazil is really nationalistic. It's really, Brazil is really critical of Brazil. As long as you're Brazilian, you can criticize Brazil. If you're a foreigner, you don't, you don't do that. That sounds You don't trash talk. Yeah. Uh, and they get really, really annoyed by that, that, that Zika thing. Even the people who are, even people who hate the Olympics and hated the World Cup and hate that stupid stadium. Uh, that they have in Brasilia, you know, the Garincha Stadium, which is like one of the most expensive stadiums in the world, and hate the corruption that surrounds these events, would be almost as angry about <laughs> people like Hope Solo <clears throat> and Rory McIlroy portraying the country as this mosquito-infested swamp barely fit for human habitation. You know, that's, that would be guaranteed to get the backup of, of any... That's, that's the one thing that truly brings them together as a... As a country, I would say. We're well, opening ceremony should be good. <laughs> We're talking mostly Olympics on this show, but another event worth keeping an eye on tomorrow is the draw, Ken, for the final qualifying round of the Champions League because Dundalk are going to find out who exactly stands between them and the group stage after their heroics on Tuesday night at Tala. It's going to be uh, Victoria Pilsen, Republic, Legia Warsaw of Poland, Apwell of Cyprus, Red Bull Salzburg of Austria, or Celtic, Mm. of Scotland I heard it's a funny one because this is uh, if people have been following it this is uh, essentially the reason that those are the teams they can face are that they are part of the champions route it's called so the champions route into the champions league as opposed to the what's the other one the league route I think the other one is called so 
uh, ostensibly you think if you're uh, in the, back in the day, if you're facing the champions of countries, that's going to be more difficult. But clearly, that's not the case these days. They get to avoid the likes of Man City and Roma and these sort of teams it's who a, are in, the, a, in the other route. It's to give teams who actually do win, win the championship yeah, yeah. a better chance of getting into the. Yeah. Oh no, no, yeah, it's absolutely great. So fourth place team in, in the big league. It was put to Stephen Kenny. Oh, wouldn't it be great to play Celtic? You know, sell out the Aviva, all this kind of stuff. And he was, he said, no, that would not be great because we want the best chance to get into the Champions League proper. And we don't care about this glamour tie. We can have those. We're into the Europa League anyway, so we'll get a glamour tie most likely in that. Uh, and if you think about it, Shamrock Rovers got, uh, didn't they get Spurs when they qualified mm-hmm. for the Europa League a few seasons ago? So I think he's right. And he was saying that immediately after the game, it was put to him, oh, you're, you know, it's kind of a shot to nothing now. You have nothing to lose in this next game. And he said, we have a lot to lose. You've got a chance to qualify for the Champions League. So he's just really, he's got that kind of, there's a steediness about him when he talks yeah. that is really impressive. And obviously his team are, are impressed by him. Yeah, uh, I mean, it would be such an amazing achievement. I mean, such a, the, sorry, the word that just come into my head is game changer. <laughs> I've been watching too much, I've been watching too much cable news. <laughs> this uh, game changer, sorry, literally the most leaden cliche. Um, but but no Irish team has ever, th- this has never happened in, in Irish football before, uh, in the sense of if they were to make it to the Champions League group stage, the financial infusion it's like nothing like that has happened in Irish football it's, I mean it'll be like the moment Roman Abramovich uh, took over at Chelsea yeah it would just only be, it'll be earned on the field <laughs> absolutely uh, enormous so yeah I, mean, I guess some of the biggest games in Irish club side has ever played um, and the stakes are big for the entire league I don't know if it would even necessarily be that good a thing for some of the other teams in the league but obviously it wouldn't be an amazing thing for Dundalk. So as to who would be the best team for them to, to get drawn against, I find it very difficult to, uh, to say based on, uh, based on who's there. I don't think Celtic would necessarily be the worst possible draw. No, there's no, there's no, well, there's no draw that you look at and go, oh, they haven't got a chance there. That, you know, that they haven't got a chance in hell. I think you'd be giving them a chance. I think, I think Salzburg would be a bad draw. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I, I can tell you which of Victoria Pils and Legia of Warsaw would. You know what I mean? I'm, yep. not, I'm not sure. All right, let's get into the Olympics with US Murph. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series. Brian Murphy, it's the eve of the Olympic Games, so it means forget about forget about making America great again, Brian. It's what the Obamas were saying. This is a chance now to show that America is still great. In fact, it's the greatest country on earth as it crushes opposition from around the world, including whatever Russians managed to sneak through. Oh my God! So many options to discuss off of that. First of all, welcome back, Owen. I haven't talked to you since oh, the yeah. big wedding, and I'm delighted to hear that you are betrothed and uh, and now uh, living the blissful life. Yeah. Of uh, of marriage, in fact, it reminds me of that old joke when um, when people were fighting for same sex marriage. One of the funny signs that you'd see at the same sex marriage rally was, uh, "I support same sex marriage. Let them be as miserable as I am." <laughs> right? <laughs> right. So there you go. 
Uh, well, it's only, but it's only been a couple. It's only a couple of weeks, yeah. The whole deal, yeah, right? It's only been a couple so, uh, of weeks, Brian. So yeah, no, there's there's no there's been no misery. I, I need to put that on the record uh, just in case the wrong headlines come out of this. Blissful, blissful honeymoon stage. Good job. Yeah. So yeah, you know, it's funny when you brought that up. I was just thinking, how is Trump going to screw up our Olympics <laughs> somehow, some way? He's going to botch something. He might fly down to Rio and screw the whole damn thing up. Uh, or certainly, like you said, he just might defect and go sit in Putin's uh, suite and cheer on the Russians the way he's going with his uh, his bromance with Vlad Putin. Meanwhile, as he uh, as he gets the speed wobbles on his campaign and the wheels are flying off by the hour over here on the Trump thing, it's kind of funny because I was I was emailing with Kieran before the show about the Olympics, and it's you know you want to get excited, but uh, to be honest, it's kind of snuck up on us. Because of this insane summer of Trump, it seems like it seems like the only news going on these days is what Trump did yesterday and what he's going to do today. And you kind of forget, you know, and then there was Hillary's performance in Philadelphia and Obama's performance in Philadelphia and Michelle Obama's performance. So, yeah, here we are. It kind of snuck up on us. Lest we forget that in that epic little opening that you guys have crafted for my segment, which is always appreciated, I know, by the listeners is uh, an Olympic moment indeed. The 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team is featured in your in, in the opening. But we're here to talk summer games and Rio. There's not a huge buzz right now, but I think once it starts, we'll get going. And, you know, we'll find an America's sweetheart. We'll find a Missy Franklin, a Mary Lou Retton. We'll, 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 we'll glom on to somebody, and uh, it won't be off and running. Yeah, well, uh, apparently the Olympics has snuck up on at least one of your Olympians as well, Brian. I saw... Uh, there was a tweet today that our old uh, colleague in New Sock, Ian Murta, retweeted from Jason Sobel, the ESPN golf writer, who said, <laughs> this is what Sobel said, this is amazing. Just ask Matt Kuchar about the Olympics. He thought it was team format. Didn't know it was individual stroke play. And he's playing. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, you guys want to talk about golf. If you want to shift the focus to Olympic golf, that is a dumpster fire. That is a disaster. <laughs> that is a... That is a Hindenburg, Titanic, you name it. I mean, wow. Could anything go right with the Olympic golf event? I mean, they almost should just like pull the plug now. It's like it's like it, when it was announced, what, uh, two years ago or whatever, the International Golf Federation, I was dubious then. And then everything that's happened in the last few months has just, you know, I mean, they are just poor. This thing is pointing towards a one and done, right? I know it's supposed to be booked for the 2020 games, but we might as well just pull the plug right now. So... Forgive me. I mean, I'm sure I'll pay, you know, 1% of my brain will look at the golf. It'll be on the TV. I'll look at it, but I'll certainly get much more excited for, you know, your your Michael Phelps, your Katie Ledecky's, for your USA basketball to see what Draymond Green does next. Uh, those are the the things we, we gather around the Olympics for, not, not golf. We already have that covered. We don't need it. Yeah, it's weird because uh, I saw Phelps was uh, talking yesterday, actually, and he was he was saying that he'd seen Novak Djokovic in the Olympic Village and how he was going to go up to Novak Djokovic and talk to him. And that basically this is the kind of misguided thinking that has golf and maybe even to a lesser extent tennis, although tennis has been there since Seoul, I think. The whole idea of it was so the IOC could say that uh, Novak Djokovic met Michael Phelps and as a result oh look at this all of the best sports people in the world in one place that's what makes the Olympics great when really it's, that's just stupid I mean my, this is Michael Phelps' time to shine and Novak Djokovic should get in line while Michael Phelps goes and tries to win you know add to his uh, Olympic medal hall you know like it's actually it, it is a totally different thing and this idea that you can just throw all of the best sports people 
in the world in one place and they all get to just hang out in the Olympic Village. I mean, that's the dream. But really, you know, you shouldn't be uh, offering up uh, the Olympics uh, to, to golfers who don't really care about it all that much at, at root. Yeah, and the tennis thing feels forced too. You know, it, it, same deal, four majors around the year. And I, by the way, I'm hard-pressed to believe that Michael Phelps and Novak Djokovic couldn't meet under any other circumstances at some sort of nightclub yeah. in New York City <laughs> during the U.S. Open tennis or some sort of nightclub in London during Wimbledon or whatever. I mean, it's not like Michael Phelps is some, you know, nobody who gets a chance to meet Novak Djokovic. And I know maybe yeah. okay, maybe it's exciting for a, a table tennis player to go meet Novak Djokovic or whatever, but that's not really what it's all about. And heck, we can go back to the whole, you know, when Olympics went from amateur to pro and, you know, you could you could spend all day talking about whether or not that was the right move, you know, and it's a different time, it's a different era. I was talking about this with my wife just uh, yesterday about how we're excited now that our oldest is eight going on nine. And I remember, so for me, that would have been the 1976 summer games in Montreal. And we were talking about what do we remember about the 76 Montreal games? And we remember Bruce Jenner. We remember Shirley Babishoff, uh, the swimmer. We remember uh, the, the Sugar Ray Leonard, I believe was in the 76 games as a boxer. So things that remember that we were wondering if this will be the same kind of memories for uh, an eight year old, soon to be nine year old kid today, given the, incredible saturation of sports and media. I mean, there's nothing he can't watch on a daily basis in our, in our, on TV. So I wonder if, you know, that's why I guess they went to the pro athletes to try to make more of an impact. I don't know. I hope something memorable will happen. I trust something memorable will happen for them and for the next generation. Cause it does. I, I still do believe in the power of the Olympics. I still do believe in the, the tradition of the, of the, of the games and of the mythology of it all. I know that's lost its traction. I know it doesn't have the same heat it once did, but it is good when it works. It's good. And it doesn't need golf to work. And it doesn't need tennis either for that matter. It's got its own tradition. And I understand the concept of you need to constantly evolve and, and move with the times, but we have BMX bike racing, you know, we have trampoline gymnastics. And I think, I think the public votes with its eyeballs there. I don't. I, I think you know that the ratings aren't driven by those things. So uh, I think we're all in agreements here on, on the golf and that kind of nonsense. Phelps is going to be carrying the flag. That was a vote apparently by the entirety of Team USA. So everybody decided, well, I don't know if everybody decided, but the majority decided that Phelps was going to be the man. He's 31 years of age. He's the most decorated Olympian ever, 22 medals, 18 of them are gold. It actually, it's just mental when you read the numbers. Obviously, swimming does offer up maybe more opportunities to the greats to to really rack up those medals, but Phelps has done it more than anyone else um, uh, has ever done. He's also had his moments, um, 2004, after the, uh, was it after the, the Games in 2004? Not long afterwards anyway, in Athens, he was uh, caught for drink driving, Smoked a bong then a few years later. Call for that. Drink driving again. The second drink driving case was only a couple of years ago, 2014, after he'd come back and he was banned from the team. He wasn't able to compete at the World Athletics Championship. So it's kind of funny that that's enough to be a bit of a rap sheet for some for some sports people, but you don't necessarily hear of Phelps, of any particular criticism of Phelps. I mean, maybe you do, but it doesn't strike me that he's considered this sort of bad boy of US sport despite these incidents. No, he's not. There's a few reasons for that. I think one, I think we have plenty of bad boys and all we need to talk, think about is all the NFL discussions you and I have had over the last few years. I mean, th- stuff has gotten really bad from Ray Rice on down or whatever you want, whether it's uh, guns or whether it's violence in the NFL, 
that has always been kind of the the banner. And you know, DUIs, nobody's obviously nobody endorses that. Hell, it's become real taboo in society. But sadly, it's not that uncommon. I mean, you you can go through any sport right now, Major League Baseball or NBA or football, and you got guys who it happened to. Hell, we were talking about the Golden State Warriors, our beloved Warriors who fell short and are still licking their wounds with Kevin Durant now. Uh, and we were talking about the Warriors, and we were talking about Maurice Spates leaving the Warriors. I know most Irish don't know who he is. He's a role player on that Warriors team. He had been popped for a DUI, and we had forgotten about it. That's how how routine. I mean, I hate to use that word, but I think that's part of why. And Phelps, fortunately, never hurt anybody with his accidents, and fortunately, never hurt himself either. So it became sort of almost... De rigueur, like, oh, yeah, there's another guy. He's had a drink problem, and, you know, that's the deal with Phelps. But, of course, we also love the comeback story, the narrative. He hasn't blown his talent. You get guys like that, whether it's what Jamarcus Russell of the Raiders or other guys who, who have that talent and blow it with drink or drugs or, or Johnny Manziel, of course, right? That's the ultimate example of the new 2016 uh, a guy who's partying his way into oblivion. So when you compare him to guys like Manziel, who you know is a total train wreck and is squandering all his talent, Michael Phelps actually, I mean, you hate to say this, but he actually comes off looking pretty good. You mentioned, uh, who did you mention earlier? Ledecky. That's, that's Katie Ledecky, who's the top. You know, I remember talking to you a few years ago, Brian, ahead of the London Games, and you had flagged Missy Franklin for us and how she was going to be a star and she won four gold medals there, but... She's 21 now, so she's passed, already passed the mantle on to a, a newer swimmer. Obviously, Missy Franklin's still around and will still win medals. But yeah, Katie Ledecky, I think she's 19. She's uh, set to be one of the big stars of the Games. Well, she is. There's a couple things kind of going against her going in. Is One is her events. She swims long-distance freestyle. And I say that that just doesn't seem as like star makery as the 100 and 200 kind of events that you get from Missy Franklin. I mean, like who wants to sit through an 800? Now I say that and sort of right away I can contradict myself by saying that in 1988, little Janet Evans, who was our sweetheart of the 88 games, she was also a long distance freestyler. But she was a high school girl and had something that Kitty Ledecky doesn't have. And that is a super bubbly personality, like like sort of like beyond cliched California girl, giggling Valley girl type of thing where the kind of girl that you just, you think, oh yeah, that's the girl I went to high school with. Janet Evans had that. And Missy Franklin had that too. Super bubbly. I mean, almost to the point of you could parody it. She was so, but the funny thing is with Missy Franklin, it was real. I mean, here she is at 21 and she's still giggling her way through every sentence she ever utters. But Katie Ledecky, I think, is a little more serious, a little more stone-faced. So she's going to have to do it on the merit of her golds alone. And I think she will. I think she will achieve a certain degree of fame and a certain degree of sweethardness coming out of it. You know, you win the gold in America or in any nation. Hell, C. Smith, comma, Michelle, 1996, right? <laughs> any, you win a lot of golds, you become a hero. So I'll be interested to see how high she gets on the ladder of fame or popularity. I don't think she's huge on social media. Uh, uh, at least I haven't seen her crop up that much. I'll start to follow her and she'll see it. And don't forget, we'll have a gymnast too. A little, a little dynamo named Simone Bowles. I think I'm pronouncing her name right. I know I will be by the end of the Olympics. She is supposed to be spectacular. She's supposed to be one of the most explosively dynamic gymnasts that the U.S. has ever produced. And she apparently is poised to vault, no pun intended, 
into uh, Olympic glory and and the all important Wheaties box. Everybody, that's what they're looking for <laughs> to get on the Wheaties box, guys. Brian, uh, Karen, I should mention here that this is probably the point to reveal that Brian has had this entire conversation while festooned in all his Team USA paraphernalia. He's been wearing his Bubba it's Watson. How we, it's how we like it. Bubba Watson Stars and Stripes golf shoes, his Michael Phelps Speedos, <laughs> and Justin Gatlin's red running singlet. And, and, you're, and you've been or waving just, one of those USA, little tiny USA flags that, that um, you know, that just creates such joy around the world as well. And, what's, and what hat am I wearing, guys? Make America <laughs> great again. Four words. Brian, Drop the mic. Enjoy the Olympics and thanks so much for chatting to us. We'll talk soon. Good luck to the Irish. I'll be following you, man. I'll be following the the, the orange, green, and white. So I will. Uh, I'll we'll compare medal counts next time we talk. <laughs> I am a real American. Come on, we'll go to a, your favorite, a baseball game. Every man I'd be more than happy to have you boys come on over. American. I'll get you guys garlic fries and Hanker steam beer. Duffman can never die. Only the actors who play him. Oh yeah. Enough about Team USA, Murph. What about Team Ireland? Mm. Who should we be looking out for over the first weekend? Well, there's actually quite a quite a lot of uh, action in the first weekend. The the hockey team are in action on Saturday and Sunday. I saw that. She strikes me as a hmm, 24-hour turnaround. Yeah. I don't know what the Roscommon footballers would make of all this, but uh, they're playing uh, India at 3 o'clock on Saturday and then at 10 o'clock on Sunday night uh, they're playing Netherlands. So... I don't know a whole lot about hockey, but... I'd I've heard of the, both of those I'm teams. <laughs> I am concerned that I know both of those teams yeah. happen to be quite strong at hockey. Uh, the boxers will be in action. That, that draw is being made a little later on today. Uh, Sunita Puspura is the first Irish athlete in action at half 12 on Saturday. Uh, Dan Martin, Nicholas Roach, uh, the men's cycling road race, which is always yeah, pretty good, is on a half yep. one. So there's, lo- there's loads in action. The equestrian three-day eventers are in as well. So um, Kieran Bean's in action. I yeah, it's it, it's. I'm coming late to this party, on, but I'm here now. The, the cycling, yeah, you're excited now. Finally, the the cycling's always interesting because it's an event that just takes place in and of itself. It's not yeah. round after round, heat after heat. It's just suddenly there it is, boom. And if you miss it, you, yeah, well, tough. Kilkenny <laughs> uh, Waterford obviously is the well. It's, it's a great weekend in GA. The two yeah. big games in the football championship. We talked a lot about that already in the week uh, earlier in the week. Kilkenny Waterford and the All Ireland hurling semi final. You were delving into your Waterford heritage, Murph. In your Irish Times column today. Oh well, I was I was thinking of holding on f- until All Ireland final week. And Just then in thought, case. <laughs> well, you know, if it's a good idea in August, it'll you know it's a good idea in September. Hey, listen, I'm no expert, but I feel as a columnist, you can always delve back into ideas mm. that you produced earlier in the summer. I, th- I think, it's as I was saying, part two, yeah. two, yes. But your dad is a Waterford proud Waterford man. He is indeed, and uh, there have been a lot of bad days, but uh, but at the same time, you kind of think. You know, there's, obviously there's a lot of pessimism about Waterford going into this particular game, but maybe it's instructive to think about the 30 or 40 years of my father's life where Waterford did nothing at all. Uh, for So he left school, he was telling me, in 1966, and I left secondary school in the year 2000. And basically in between those two times, he managed to raise an entire family uh, <laughs> and Waterford do absolutely nothing at hurling for that entire time. So, I mean, I think that, um, uh, yeah, I mean, you got to, kind of got to put into into perspective. The point I was making at the end of the column is, you know, Waterford are getting, obviously, quite a lot of questions about their style and, you know, where does all this come from? It probably, well, it comes from 
you know, a long, hard winter that lasted from 1963 until 19 or until 2002, 39 years without a Munster final uh, win, uh, conceding five goals and 31 points to Cork in a Munster final, and then having to play them again the following year and getting another, not quite as bad, but just as brutal beating. Um, you know, it, it, it comes from a different place. You know, Kilkenny people and Cork people and Tipperary people can talk about the future of the game and can talk about there are right ways and wrong ways to win hurling games. For everyone else, there's just one good result. That's winning. And, yeah. you know, we can argue the toss over how that's achieved, you know, from the comfort of our winner's podium. Yeah, although I know you do have your doubts about, well, I think everyone knows they're going to have to up their game from... Hugely, uh, from, you know, from like... they produced so far in the championship. Extraordinarily pessimistic about their chances having watched them in the flesh uh, against Wexford in the in the quarterfinal, but... Now it's Thursday and the game's only a couple of days away, so you're getting foolishly <laughs> excited. And you're God, like, it's, it's, if, if Galway beat Tipperary, then I'll have seen Kilkenny beat my team, or my second team, three times in two months, which is always fun. <laughs> The, oh, just before we go, Pork Duffy, this uh, news has just come in today. Pork Duffy has weighed in on the champion, the idea that the tr- the championship needs to be restructured. He's got an idea. Think you've read every possible <laughs> restructuring the Gaelic football championship uh, proposal? This is why I left Think this again, right no. to the end, just in case people said structure GAA championship. No, yeah. but this so, is coming right from the top. Yeah, I, it, it's quite. Yeah. I mean, I was I. I kicked on the lake, you know. Proposal on the format of the Ireland Theatre Football Championship, thinking, why do I, seriously, why do I do this to myself? This is ridiculous. But what he's uh, suggested is that the championship proceeds as pretty much as is um, uh, up until the quarterfinal stage. Now, he, he, there is something there to say that in uh, rounds one, two, and three of the qualifiers, that the weaker teams get a home draw. There is no draw, basically. They're at home against strong teams, which is... Definitely a good uh, a good idea, but it's basically the same uh, same old crack until the quarterfinal stage, and then it's two groups of four, <laughs> two groups of four on mm. uh, the top two go through to the semi final, um, and yeah. So what's what's wrong with that? There's not a whole lot wrong with it. Now, what people will say is uh, we can barely play our club championships off already. How does throwing more games into the mix? How does that in any way help the club player? Now, I don't think. You know, the club player is pretty much screwed anyway. So, you know, let's just take it on the intercounty merits as is. Basically, what this means is Kerry got to an All-Ireland quarterfinal this year, having played Tipperary and Clare. And at the quarterfinal stage, they played Clare. So they're through to an All-Ireland semifinal, having played three games. This way, at least, it means you have the best teams playing each other in games that really matter in August and September, which is, that's very definitely a good thing. We have There hasn't been half enough of that. Uh, we have a, uh, a situation where... This Saturday, four teams who all think they can win the All-Ireland are playing in a doubleheader in Crow Park. This is good, but why have we had to wait till now for it to happen? And there's no guarantee. And we've already had two quarterfinals where that didn't happen. So the idea that you can get the best eight teams in the, in the country to play each other a lot in August and September, definitely a good idea. Yeah, there's a couple of drawbacks with it, though. One is that you're going from a straight knockout, the excitement of a straight knockout competition into a league structure. that you're starting a straight knockout, though. It's not a straight knockout. You get, you can lose the game and get back. Yeah, in. but not not at this point. You can't. Not the quali- the qualifiers are straight knockout and quarterfinals are straight knockout. So you're then into a, a league system, which is by its nature okay. You get to, you play each other more often. But why doesn't that happen earlier in the year? Like this idea. Well, and the, I'm not, yeah. Sorry, sorry and just yeah. say this ties in with the point that separating the. I don't think you can separate it from the plight of club players and club teams because the whole thing needs to be completely restructured, uh, ripped up 
and uh, thought about in a new way as Jim McGuinness and many other people that they've all made suggestions about how this can be done the GPA has done it as well this is I, I think it's overall I think yeah I, I'm nitpicking maybe a little bit on that idea that you're going from knockout to um, to yeah. league it just seems a little bit counterintuitive in, in some ways but yeah okay fair enough you do get these good games but you still have to wait until August for them so and you still have the issues all the other issues around not having an, enough quality football earlier in the summer and all the club players still have, facing all the situations that they face so it just it seems to me like it, it, fine it might, it might improve things a little bit for a few weeks of the year you but, only get two extra games actually mm. yeah well the idea is uh, because you know the quarterfinals you'd have four games but with this system you'd have six games uh, there are eight extra Big games, basically. Oh, from, yeah, there, yeah, there, yeah, there, yeah. There are eight extra big games oh, from. <laughs> it's pretty embarrassing when but, you make a mental arithmetic uh, mistake like that. It's in quite all right. Real time. It's quite all right. It's quite all right. The uh, but no. Well, what what it is is there are twenty four teams out of the championship by the say the twenty fourth or twenty fifth of July. Mm-hmm. That's the situation as it is. The teams that are left. I mean, it's not like Donegal. Uh, it's not like the Dublin Senior Championship. If Dublin win on on Saturday, it's not like the Dublin Senior Football Championship is going to play. They're they're going to have a round of championship in between then and the semi final. And it's certainly not the case that it's going to be a round between the semi final and final. Those guys just aren't playing until Dublin are out of the championship, and it's the exact same in almost every other county. So I mean, basically, what this does instead of there being three weeks of inaction between every game, that there's actually like a run of games where there can be genuine excitement built up and it doesn't make any difference to the club player because the club player isn't playing anyway. No, I don't think, yeah. I'm not trying to claim that this is makes the club, situa- club player situation any worse. I just yeah. don't think it does anything to... No, it, well, and, and, that, and that should be part, I think, of an overall... But you know, maybe Pork Duffy's thinking, look, that overall root and branching is not happening anytime soon, yeah. so and, let's and I just think, do I think, what we can within the parameters that are there. Exactly. And, and another thing that he said is that he doesn't. you don't have to go looking for extra weeks. Just the daftness that a Connacht Championship starts on the 5th of May and doesn't end until the 24th of July and there are seven teams in the tournament. Mm. I mean, you know, it's like you don't have to go looking for solutions here. Just play more games on more weekends and that just gives you loads more time. I mean, the Ulster Championship, the, the, uh, the Ulster Council refused to play more than one Ulster Championship game per weekend. Mm-hmm. So the, there's a preliminary round and four quarterfinals. That takes five weeks to play those five games. I mean, it's completely absurd. It's utterly absurd. So what he's saying is this is the first step towards squashing everything together and hopefully, you know, and and, and at the end of it, there's... You're, you're playing more games and having less training sessions and that's what players want. Okay, we're going to have the All-Ireland Hurling semi-final to dissect on Monday. We're going to have the football games to talk about the Olympics opening weekend. The Community Shield will be featuring heavily, I'm sure, in the football podcast. Can't wait for Monday already. Thanks a million, guys. Thanks, Ken. Thank, Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Thanks, Thanks, Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 